Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Christ is born and that we celebrate uh, the incarnation of God and Jesus uh, at this Christmas season. We thank you for the gospel that saves us and allows us to know you and have a relationship with you. Uh, our hearts are just full of praise and gratitude. And so we thank you, Lord, for um, seeking us and saving us and having that relationship with us. Uh, we pray for those, Lord, around the world who do not yet know you, and we pray that uh, they would also have the same opportunities that we have to hear and uh, respond to your love and your grace and your gospel. Pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts now as we open your word, speak to us, and uh, teach us what you would have us to take and apply to our lives today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. If you'll go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians, if you have them. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, <clears throat> it's been wonderful uh, being here in the States, back home in Noonan, here at our home church here, First Baptist. These last five and a half months have flown by. It's hard to believe there were just less than six weeks now from uh, our return to Japan in mid-January. Uh, so our time here is coming to a close, but we've appreciated the way so many of you have uh, reached out to us and loved on us and ministered to us while we've been here. We've uh, really felt refreshed and uh, spiritually renewed and uh, prepared to get ready to go back soon. Uh, most of you know who we are and what we do, uh, but we, this month actually, are, are celebrating our 25th year with the International Mission Board serving in Japan uh, in the greater Tokyo area. <clears throat> uh, as, as you saw in that video, that's kind of what we do. Uh, we go out, we build relationships with Japanese people and uh, uh, share the gospel with them. Most of them have never heard before, um, tried to... Uh, persuade them and pray for them through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus and to have a relationship with him. We disciple them. We uh, plant churches and uh, do other kinds of ministry, felt needs and uh, human needs ministry, uh, leadership development, and all kinds of things. Uh, we also have the privilege of serving all of our missionaries in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, of the world, about 16 countries from Mongolia all the way down to, um, you know, Indonesia and, and uh, even really down to New Zealand, we have personnel, um, and just supporting them so their families can thrive and be healthy and serve in the way that God has called them to serve. And so we're very blessed to be doing what we're doing, um, and we're thankful for you and for your support, for your prayers and your giving. and. Um, yeah, so thank you. Last uh, time I shared with you back in October, I started out with three truths that drive us. Um, the first one was that the world's greatest problem is lostness. 
The world's greatest problem is lostness. I don't think that's up for debate. There's lots of problems in the world, but they all come down to our sin nature and our separation from God and our selfish living that causes the problems that we face in our world. And so the greatest problem is lostness. The second truth was that the only solution to the world's greatest problem is the gospel, right? That message of reconciliation with God. We come back to him, is really the only way that we're going to solve the problems in this world. The only solution to the world's greatest problem is the gospel. And the third thing that I share with you, and it's kind of where I want to camp out today, is that the biblical model to take the gospel to the lost is our presence among the nations. The biblical model to take the gospel to the lost is our presence, or in your case here in Noonan, Georgia. And there's just so much joy and excitement and fulfillment and contentment in participating in God's mission to reach the lost. Uh, when you see somebody come to faith in Christ, I mean, on the outside, you may not see something happen immediately, but to see the transformation of a life as they follow the Lord and are reconciled in their relationships and, and transformed and experience that new life in Christ, it's, it's so exciting. I mean, you saw in the video uh, just ministering to people and their needs and and fulfilling that call that each of us has as a believer uh, to be incarnational in our witness, like we talked about here. Uh, at Christmas time, God coming and becoming flesh in Jesus, the incarnation. And so the biblical model is to take the gospel through our presence. And I think this passage here in 1 Thessalonians is just a beautiful picture of what that looks like. It's one of my favorite passages. And... Uh, uh, rather than just talk about what we do in Japan, because um, we do that often when we come back, I also want to give you some, uh, something from the Word that maybe we can take and apply to ourselves also. And so, um, in this letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians, uh, it's himself, Paul, and Silvanus, who most of you probably know from the book of Acts, is Silas and, uh, and Timothy. And he's recounting their going to live amongst the people there for a while in uh, Thessalonica to share the gospel with them. And uh, so let's just read through this passage real quick. I'm going to start in verse 2 of chapter 1 and go through 2, 8. And it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That's the incarnational part. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no reason or no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who res rescues us from the wrath to come. 
For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid the much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So I wish we could go through like every point in this passage, but I just want to highlight a few things that particularly we could apply to ourselves today. And I hope that you'll take this time just sort of for introspection, maybe a little self-diagnostics about how am I doing as an incarnational witness in being uh, that gospel presence among the people that God has uh, put me within. So verse 5 says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The power, he's talking about miracles and things like that, I suppose, but also the power to change minds, change hearts and lives. And I think this means demonstration of how God works powerfully in our lives for his glory and to point people to him. And um, he says here in verse 5, as I pointed out earlier, you know what kind of people we prove to be among you, not for our sake, but for your sake. Uh, he's talking about authenticity, right? They're being the real deal as believers. And so the first thing I think is that uh, being an incarnational witness means being authentic. As we live our lives, we demonstrate how God works in our lives, how he makes a difference through the good and the bad, through the challenges and the triumphs. We glorify God and that combination of presence and word led by the Holy Spirit with conviction that's powerful. So we have a house church that meets in our home weekly on Sunday nights. And uh, as we share with them the gospel, we're also trying to expl express to them through our lives, you know, how God is faithful, how he provides, how he's sovereign in all things, and, uh, and how he's intimately involved in the details of our lives. And we pray the same for, you know, our children. We want them to see how God is involved and taking care of us and working. And um, last summer, in 2022, Caleb had come home from college, and uh, our family took a trip to Malaysia. I had a meeting, and so we all went together. We're going to take a few days of vacation afterwards. And uh, we had a COVID outbreak at the meeting. We had to cancel the meeting early, and all six of us got COVID. And... Uh, so we drove from the meeting location in Malacca down to Penang, and we quarantined there for a week. And 
you know, followed all the rules that we were supposed to, but we didn't report it because in Malaysia, you have to, when you travel, you have to put this app on your phone. It has a little green, you know, indicator, and everywhere you go, they look, and if you, that thing turns red, they won't let you go anywhere, and so uh, we kind of kept it hush-hush, you know, and uh, did our home test and all, got all negative tests. So we're like, all right, we're good to go. So we want to get back to Japan without any problems. <clears throat> And so Japan at the time was requiring negative PCR tests within 72 hours of uh, travel. And so we go and take our tests and all of us tested positive on the PCR test. And um, so we thought, man, what are we gonna do? We're stuck in this country. We hadn't told anybody who's gonna believe us, you know, that we, we already had COVID for two weeks and, and we're over it and we're good to go now. Uh, we needed a doctor and, uh, and asking around, we couldn't find a doctor. And so, uh, and one day, uh, we were just hanging out there, and so we decided to go, the boys wanted to go swimming at a, at, at a pool uh, at an apartment complex where one of our colleagues lives. And so we went there and we're hanging out. And while we were there, there's this Malaysian Chinese man and his daughter who, who were in the pool with our boys. We were the only ones there. And uh, he walks up to us at some point and he says, are you all from Japan? And we said, yes, we are, actually. And he goes, you may not remember me, but I, I attended your house church in Tokyo 11 years ago when I was in Japan once for uh, uh, disaster relief work after that triple disaster with the earthquake and uh, tsunami and uh, nuclear uh, meltdown, if you'll remember that. And we're like, wow. So we took pictures and talked and everything. And uh, uh, he was there visiting a mutual friend that was our, in our house church. So we texted her the picture, and I kind of told her the, the, the predicament we had gotten ourselves into. And uh, in talking to this guy, uh, we also said, do you live in this apartment? And he said, no, I live across town, on the, but my in-laws live here, and so I'm just here today with my daughter, letting her see her, her grandparents, you know. And um, so we had a nice little chat and thought that was it. But when we told our mutual friend in, in Japan that we had run into this guy and told her kind of what was wrong. She was from Penang and her family was pretty well connected. She says, why don't you ask him? He's a doctor. And uh, his, his wife was a doctor. His whole family was doctors. And so uh, we were able to uh, get the letters we needed. And by then everybody tested negative except for me. And we were able to get back to Japan. We spent almost a month in Malaysia because we were stuck. But the point being, we came back and shared this with our house church. We shared it with our kids. You know, look how God takes care of people. And the fact that he knew 11 years before we ever went to Malaysia that we were going to need a doctor. And then he brought him across town on the day that we happened to decide to go swimming. I mean, all of the, the coincidences are just too many for it to have been a random chance thing. It had to been God. And so we able to share through sometimes wow kinds of experience, but even just in the daily lives about how we depend on God and how he works in our lives, that authenticity preaches to the, those around us and draws them to faith and draws them to want to know more about who Jesus is and about what the gospel is. So living incarnationally is living authentically and with power and conviction. Verse 6, Paul says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord after you received the word, because you received it with joy of the Holy Spirit, even though it was in the middle of a lot of hardship. 
He was saying, you know, you received the gospel even though you knew it was going to be hard to follow Jesus in your context. Um, Japan has a population of about 126 million people where less than 1% of the population are Christians. And uh, I wish I could share with you uh, that in the 25 years we've been there and as we've reported over the years that we've seen that needle move uh, to a greater number of Christians. But sadly, it's still a very difficult place to see people come to faith in Christ. And even though there's no overt government persecution where we are, there's a lot of social pressure not to be different. So following Jesus in our context over there means you go at it alone. And that is very difficult for Japanese people. Um, and I would dare say that in America, it's becoming that way these days to stand up and be a believer uh, and a Christian in a society that's becoming more and more intolerant of Christians and Christianity. But uh, we have joy in the Holy Spirit and people are needing us to be examples, to follow. As Paul said, uh, you followed our example. And so living incarnationally means being an example of, for others to follow, of what it means to follow Jesus. In verse 9, Paul says, you turn to God from idols and other false religions to serve the one true and living God. In the States, we usually refer to idolatry and things in the more intangible sense. We talk about, you know, the idols of self or the idols of wealth and success and anything else that we might put before God, which is true. Those are all idols. Um, Japanese mainly follow Shinto and Buddhism. About 78% follow Shinto, 80% Buddhism, because most are both. Right there, it's a very uh, syncretistic, pluralistic, polytheistic society. It's known as the, the land of the Yaoyoros and Okami, the land of eight million gods. It's just meaning that there are countless gods. Anything can be God. And they literally worship idols, objects of nature like rocks and trees or the sun. So when Japanese become believers, they literally are turning from their idols and turning to the one true and living God. And um, that's the definition of repentance, right? That's what we preach is that you must turn from your sin, that you must turn from your idols and follow the one true and living God. And so as incarnational witnesses, our presence among the lost, we are to call people to repentance and uh, to turn away from their idols and to turn to the one true and living God. Verse 1 of chapter 2 is encouraging to me. It says, Paul says, Our going there to Thessalonica to be with you, he said, it was not in vain. You know, our, God wants our obedience, and our obedience is never pointless. Uh, living incarnationally means living in obedience. How are we doing in that area? 1 Samuel 15, 22 has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed, <clears throat> excuse me, than the fat of rams. And Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We're called to obedience. We're not called to success. We're not called to, or at least as the culture defines it, we're not called to happiness or safety or even to health 
sometimes those are our idols, right? Well, God would never call me to give up my health or my family to follow him and do something. Um, this happened with the COVID vaccines, you know. Uh, whether, whatever your feelings are on that, uh, our country required them. In order for us to have access to the Japanese people, we had to get COVID shots. So it didn't matter how we felt about it. Uh, we had to get them. And so um, uh, our health sometimes can be an idol. Our safety can sometimes be an idol. But God commands us to obedience. Japan's a really beautiful, wonderful place to live. Uh, I talk to a lot of people these days, and it seems like everybody wants to go to Japan to, to visit. You know, it's a, it's a sightseeing destination uh, for many, many people. And uh, there's a lot of Japanese culture that uh, is pervading the world. Uh, <clears throat> Chuck introduced me to a book called uh, uh, True Inventions, is that what it was called? Yeah, I'm about halfway through it. It's a fascinating book about how Japanese culture has just permeated uh, the world and influenced the world. But from a ministry standpoint, Japan is a very, very tough place to serve. It takes years sometimes for people to come to faith. And I've shared some stories in the past with you about people we've worked with who've taken 7, 10, 15 years before they come to faith in Christ. Uh, but again, it's not about success. It's not about seeing visible fruit necessarily. It's about our faithfulness and our obedience. And so that is what we are called to, living incarnationally. And if you look here, it's in the context of obedience in the midst of persecution. In verse 2, Paul says, We came from Philippi, <clears throat> where we, were suff we suffered and were persecuted. You remember the story of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts? Uh, they went to Philippi, and they got put in jail there, and there was a big earthquake, and uh, they could have fleed, but they didn't. They stayed, and when the jailer came and found them all still there, you know, he falls down at Paul and Silas's feet and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole family come to faith. And that experience, along with others, just continued to give Paul and his companions boldness to speak the gospel, even when there was a lot of opposition in Thessalonica. Do we face opposition today? Here in this country, uh, We've lost a lot of ground as Christians and as believers. We are kind of forced into being silent by being labeled hateful and phobic and racist and anti this or that or some other derogatory term, you know, and, and, and we fall silent because we don't want to be seen as in those negative ways. Uh, but this here is an exhortation for us not to shrink back. Whether we're in America or Japan or anywhere else, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be persecution coming here in this country. It's already here. But we need to pray for boldness. Living incarnationally means living our faith boldly. And in verse 4, Paul says, We, became, we came because we were entrusted with the gospel. Uh, Back in October, I, re I referenced 2 Corinthians. You know, Paul was talking about the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ. 
and that God has given us this ministry of reconciliation and he's given us a message where we're begging people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So we are stewards of the gospel. And this is the word part, right? We're not only called to live out our faith in front of others incarnationally, but we are called to proclaim the word. If we never actually share it verbally how to come to faith in Christ, people will not, not know. I mean, they just know that we're different and we're, you know, may wonder who, who the God we follow is, but they won't know themselves how to enter into a relationship with God without us actually sharing the gospel. And so as stewards of the gospel, we need to know how to share. We need to learn how if we don't know how so that we can preach the word and fulfill the stewardship that God has given to us. And that's what he says in verse 7. He shared, we, we shared the gospel with you straight up. He's, you know, he, we shared that you're sinners who have rebelled against God, that we have to repent of our sins and turn back to God and be reconciled to him through Jesus but at the same time, in verse 7, he says, we also demonstrated gentleness among you and showed care for you. So even though we cannot compromise our message, we don't want people to ever be offended because of our own attitudes and behaviors. We should be known for our love and our gentleness amongst those that we live and who are observing us. Last day side, I think we share with you about a, a girl in our house church named Tana. Her husband is a believer. We've been witnessing to her. And at first when she came, we thought she was a believer, but she wasn't. And uh, during the time she was coming to our house church with her husband, we were sharing the gospel with her and, and uh, she gave her life to Christ and we were able to baptize her. When she was giving her testimony one day, she shared about how she initially came to be interested in the gospel and in Christianity. And in her hometown down in Western Japan, one day she was walking through a very crowded train station and she bumped into an American lady who was just there and reached out to her and started talking to her and uh, visiting with her. And she was a Christian and uh, she was very warm and kind and Tama was just drawn to her. And they became friends. And Tam was living at home at the time, so they came to her house, and uh, this lady and her husband, and had, they shared meals together at each other's homes. And uh, she said for years they exchanged New Year's cards. And uh, as she was describing this lady as a tall American woman with, who was young but had you know, completely silver hair, uh, <clears throat> Renee and I were looking at each other, Excuse me. And uh, it occurred to us, she said, we said, is this lady, was her name Nancy? And uh, Tamas said, yes, her name was Nancy. And uh, it turned out to be <clears throat> Nancy Norton, who was one of our missionaries down there, who had been out uh, just faithfully trying to meet people and build relationships with them and share the gospel with them. And uh, I mean, that's what missionaries do, but that's what we're all called to do. Uh, and sadly, both Nancy and her husband, John, uh, died of cancer a number of years ago. And this was before we met Tama. And so uh, they passed away not knowing that Tama came to faith. 
they will one day. But uh, my point is that uh, Tamil was drawn to the gospel not because we shared it initially. It, it happened years before because a Christian showed her gentleness and kindness and care and concern. And that drew her to be interested. That was the initial seeds that were planted that led her to want to know more about who God was. In verse 8, Paul says, We loved you guys so much that we didn't just impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Paul's preaching was effective because he gave not only the gospel, but he gave like his very life. He gave himself. <clears throat> Living incarnationally, our gospel presence consists of giving ourselves sacrificially because of love. Paul gave of himself because of love. You have become very dear to us, he says. And I shared back in October when I was sharing about the gospel and, and sharing the gospel with people that, that they know when we're, they're a project to us. Um, and you've heard it said many times, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think, though, that that's true. Uh, Paul had an effective ministry because he gave them both knowledge and care. Uh, as I was preaching this morning, I realized that uh, at the earlier service, I think I shared this story already with you, but I'm going to share it again about a girl named Yasko that I asked you to pray for, who is uh, one of our neighbors. Uh, one of the first people Renee met when we moved to our current place in Kawasaki. And um, uh, we served together. Well, her kids were about the same age as ours, roughly. And so uh, our kids went through Japanese elementary school together. They're locally. And uh, Yasko and Renee became good friends. And um, they would meet for coffee. And Yasko would share about her concerns from work and family and different things like that. But uh, one year, we were serving together on our neighborhood association committee, I guess you would call it, uh, sort of the responsibility for being the head for your block. I mean, it's not really blocks, but your, your part of the neighborhood sort of rotated around, so it wasn't a voluntary thing. But we had to do this. And uh, basically, throughout the year, there's a number of different uh, activities for the community that we have to put on and be a part of, you know, helping facilitate. And so we were doing that. But one of the things that we had to do, I mean, there are a lot of things that, you know, like the, the making rice cakes one, or doing like a field day and, and different things. But uh, this one event they do in the fall, even though they see it just as a cultural event, is a religious festival where they carry this God shelf around the neighborhood. From, they bring it from the shrine, and apparently the gods, you know, they, they, they supposedly come from the shrine into this portable god shelf, and all these neighbors carried around throughout the neighborhood to bless the neighborhood, and for, I guess, people who can't go to the temple or the shrine there locally, you know, can be blessed also. Um, one of our neighbors was explaining this to me, and I said, is this, do you believe this? And he said, no, I'm an atheist, but this is what we practice. And so it really is very much a cultural uh, thing there. But because of its religious significance, we said, we, we can't do that. And so, uh, you know, we said, we'll help in any other ways, but we just can't participate in this festival. 
Uh, Yasko was concerned that we had been offended, and so she came to talk to Renee, and she says, you know, if I never become a Christian, will you still be my friend? And Renee said, of course, I'll, I'll be your friend. And they continued the relationship. And this past term, and we've known her for a long time, years, a couple of years ago, Yasko started attending our house church on Sunday night. And uh, at first she'd sit in the back and she wouldn't take her jacket off and she'd just kind of sit there with her purse in her arms like this and listen. Um, and then her son started coming, who's in college now, come to faith in Christ uh, in this next term and her whole family. Uh, but we have 15 or 20 others who come to our house church every Sunday night who have been coming faithfully now for two or three years and if hear, hear the gospel and hear God's word preached or we do it more in a Bible study format but every week and we've seen progression closer and closer to that decision we're just waiting for them to cross the goal line and be saved and so we'd ask you to pray for our house church uh, but when we love as God commands us and we share the gospel it impacts people we're grateful to be serving as your IMB missionaries uh, in Japan and across the Asia Pacific Rim region supporting our missionaries there um, you all already know this most of you who know us but but our family are committed Bulldogs um, I've shared that that Renee and I went to UGA and met in the Red Coat Band and uh, we rouse our kids every Sunday morning at 4 a.m. or whatever time it is in the fall to watch the games live uh, from Tokyo, which when we lose, at least for a really bad Sunday. <laughs> but, um, uh, and I was in Manila a couple of weeks ago when we, at the, the, the SEC championship game and got up at 5 a.m. to watch that crazy game. And, uh, yeah, that led for a bad Sunday there, too. But, um, uh, the dogs are our team, right? And if you're, there are, that's the flagship school of Georgia. So if you're from Georgia, you should cheer for the dogs. Uh, amen? amen. Right, if you cheer for that trade school up on North Avenue, then I'm sorry. But uh, uh, the dogs are our team. And my family's originally from, from Kentucky, and so I don't mind the Wildcats, and I will cheer for them. Uh, you know, if they're playing somebody else. But if they're playing the dogs, I cheer for the dogs because they're my team. And um, so why am I sharing that? Do you all know why the Southern Baptist Convention exists? Why are we an SBC church? Some of you may not know. The reason that we have the Southern Baptist Convention, which is made up of autonomous local churches, is because a group of churches got together one of the primary reasons they decided, you know what, if we get together and we pool our resources, we can do a more effective job of sending and supporting missionaries to fulfill the great commission that Jesus commanded us to do. And so uh, that is why the SBC exists and is why we're Southern Baptist Church, not just because of theological alignment, but because of our commitment to fulfilling Jesus' last command to his disciples to take the gospel to all nations. And the IMB is the flagship organization of the SBC. We are your home team. Uh, 
There are a lot of missionaries and a lot of mission organizations out there uh, who are involved in worthy causes. You know, the Samaritan's Purse and the shoeboxes that we just did is a great cause. Uh, but they're not Southern Baptist. Uh, they're not your home team. And it's fine to support them. But uh, I just want to remind you that we give to the cooperative program and over half of that money that goes up to the SBC is sent to the IMB to support missions. And during this time, as you saw the Lottie Moon Christmas offering video, every penny that you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes overseas to support our family and about 3,500 other missionary colleagues who serve around the world. 100% of your gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering enables gospel transformation among the unreached all around the world. None of it goes to administrative costs or U.S.-based work of the IMB. It's all gone to support overseas work, making missionary presence possible. Our housing, our salary, our insurance, the money we use for ministry, the Bibles that are purchased and distributed, the training of pastors and leaders that takes place, the disaster relief and humanitarian work like you saw in the video that takes place, that all comes from your generosity and support. And we're very grateful for your partnership in the gospel, and we're proud to, uh, I say represent, but to be an extension of your ministry uh, over in Japan. So this year, as you're hearing about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we would ask you to consider giving your best gift to Jesus in fulfillment of that last command he gave us to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and preach the gospel. Uh, it is his birthday that we're celebrating after all. Another way you can support us as your home team is to pray for us. It's a really amazing thing to think about that you can affect through your prayers right here in Noonan what's happening on the other side of the world. We would ask you to pray for our family. Um, we're leaving two kids behind this year. This time we go back, Caleb and Stephen. Um, Timothy and Josh will be going with us. Uh, we leave behind aging parents and so forth. And so we would appreciate your prayers for our family. We would appreciate your prayers for our house church and our ministry and the Japanese that we're sharing the gospel with to come to faith in Jesus. And uh, we'd also appreciate your prayers for missionaries that are serving all around the world, some in very difficult and dangerous places, uh, at risk of their own uh, health and the risk of their own lives. And many, uh, even within our Asia Pacific region, we would appreciate your prayers uh, during the holidays. Uh, they're separated from family, but they're also, this is a great time for ministry to be able to share the gospel at Christmas with those uh, who don't know Jesus. And lastly, uh, you can go. You can send. This church can send out volunteers, and you can sign up to go uh, as a volunteer on a short-term mission trip. Maybe take some of your vacation time, and instead of just going and having a good time somewhere. You can go and have a good time serving the Lord, sharing the gospel, supporting missionaries and some of the work that they do, some of their projects, doing some evangelism or, or pre-evangelism or outreach projects or discipleship or whatever that might look like. And lastly, I know that um, uh, not everyone is called to full-time vocational ministry like we are or like uh, the staff here who are ministers. Uh, but he may be calling someone today, someone in this 
congregation, within the sound of my voice, who is being stirred in your heart. And you know what? God might be calling me to go overseas to live incarnationally and, and be a gospel presence among those who've never heard or not have the opportunity like we do here to hear. Many people mistakenly think that God only calls pastors to be missionaries, and that is simply just not true. Uh, in my role as HR director for my part of the world, I see colleagues who have come out of so many different backgrounds, varied backgrounds. We have missionaries who serve in our area uh, who are former businessmen, businesswomen, who are doctors, nurses, engineers, executives, attorneys, builders, musicians, school teachers, professors, accountants, IT people, former small business owners, and yes, pastors too. Uh, we have people who are called in their prime. We have people who are retiring and feel like they can give their remaining years to serving the Lord overseas. But as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need more laborers in the harvest field, and God may be calling you today to take the gospel to the nations. But my challenge to everyone this morning as I close is complete surrender in obedience to what God, whatever it is that God is calling us to do. You know, uh, for some, it may mean you've never followed Jesus and you need to commit your life to the Lord and say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but I, I've never really made a decision to follow him, and I need to follow him. Not just believe in him, but truly obey him and follow him as Jesus commanded. For some, it may mean being baptized because you've never done that and being a part of this church body. But for others who are already believers, you know, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus and, and go about living our daily lives. We want to be in a place, myself included, where we don't just become comfortable living out our, our faith day to day, but to be completely surrendered day by day to whatever it is that God is calling us to do. So maybe you're saying, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life, but I'm willing to do whatever he calls me to do. I'm a, my life is a blank check to the Lord. I would encourage you this morning to unconditionally surrender yourself to obeying God in whatever he's calling you to do and leading you to do. And if you're not sure, to just be willing to do whatever that is. That is my invitation to you this morning. And I do hope that as you go about your lives and your businesses here in Noonan or wherever God has you right now, that you will be that gospel presence because it's the way that Jesus, in his wisdom and sovereign plan, has uh, chosen to get his gospel to the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, again, Lord, for our salvation. Lord, we, we did nothing in and of ourselves to be born into a country like the U.S., where there are so many opportunities day by day to hear the gospel, uh, to interact with Christians, to find a church, 
to hear messages on the radio, streaming. Uh, we're so blessed here. And we sometimes become inoculated to how amazing your gospel is and how much you love us and how much you care about us and how much, Lord, your vision is not just for us to know and to follow you, but that you desire that every person has the opportunity to hear that gospel message, to know who you are and of your love and to respond to that. Uh, and there are many, many, many people around the world, billions, Lord, who have yet to hear and have that opportunity that we're given week by week. And so uh, while we're grateful, I pray that you would also convict our hearts to be more proactive, Lord, in the way that we live our lives so that we will be incarnational and we will be that gospel presence that you use to take your message to the lost. God, if you're calling anyone out today to go to the nations, that they would be bold and be surrendered and willing to commit to that. If it's a, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would just help us uh, to leave here fully surrendered again, um, committed to doing whatever you ask us to do. That is our prayer. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.